Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, folks. It is about 6 o'clock in the morning here in the fabulous farming community of Americus, Georgia, and I am back in the tack room today, out in the barn, because my family is sleeping right now, so I didn't want to make all this racket and be uh, doing the podcast while everybody's asleep, but I need to get it done early because I've got a lot of things I've got to get done today. And uh, just so you'll know, for those of you who kind of follow this thing on a week-to-week basis, I want to restate that I changed a long time ago from a commitment of doing it every week, 52 per year, to I think it was a year ago, I said, well, what I'm going to really try to do is four per month. So I'm still sticking with that. I think I missed it once. And I've had uh, months where I've had five in a month. But basically, last week was, um, without changing my podcast language ratings, I can't really describe what last week was like. Um, But I know you've all experienced weeks such as I had. And the majority of the flaw in the slaw as it were, was a sick child. Me wee lad Jackson was sick and could not go to school. And so, spent a lot of time at home, and he has recovered. He is perfectly fine now. So, no worries. He does not have coronavirus or Ebola or SARS or any of those other things. Um... He's fine. And I have, in fact, decided that it was brought on by cedar pollen. We have tremendous ancient cedars lining our 500-foot-long driveway up to the farm. These ancient trees, and they are just burdened with these pollen-producing bodies. I mean, the limbs are hanging down from the weight of it all. And thankfully we've had a little rain and it it has washed a lot of the cedar pollen out of the air. You know, and, and these cedar trees, they um they really tend to do their thing this time of year. I guess it's it's their mating season, you know, February in particular is right in the middle, January, February, March. And I really, really think we had an east wind and it was a dry day because we always get an east wind. If we get a good steady east wind here, I always tell everybody it's going to rain within two days. And it pretty much always does, especially this time of year. Anyway, the trees are to the east of the house. And I really think he was just overloaded with this cedar pollen. And you may have heard of cedar fever. And it's a real thing. I mean, it can really make you just sick. You know, cough, sore throat, eyes. You know, you, 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 if you didn't know otherwise, you would think, oh, maybe he's got strep throat. Maybe he's got, you know, whatever, a bronchitis or whatever. Anyway, he's doing fine 
now so that little thing is passed and just I, I don't mean to dump all my woes onto you but just to let you know why I did not do the podcast during the last calendar week not like you people listening in the year 2028 will you know care um, but I also had we live here on this uh, what is the remnant property of an old farm which used to be probably 160 acres back when it was originally divided between the you know the original land ho- land holder and he had four sons and he split it up among the four sons and then so I live in the house of one of those four sons and then parcels were gradually sold off until it was down to the 10 acres that that our house and barns and everything sits on and um i kind of forgot where i was going with that oh yeah being out here in the country uh we're on a well so our water comes from a well and because it's not a windmill driven well rather it is an electric powered well as most of them are today or a you know as opposed to a rope and winch powered well which sometimes i wish i had one of those or a hand pump powered well to raise the water we rely on george power to uh send us you know 240 volts ac to the pump so if you lose power you lose water so you know every time the power goes out you 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 also don't have toilets to flush and you can't wash you know, take a shower and things like that well technically you can until the pressure tank loses all of its stored pressure which is i think we got a 35 gallon pressure tanks anyway to make a long story short and to get on to the bluegrass subjects here at hand um my pressure tank has failed although you know it's not completely failed so i haven't actually replaced it yet but it's leaking so the pressure drops you know it should just hold pressure you know just like your tire in your car you put 32 pounds of pressure in it and you expect in the morning it still has 32 pounds in it but if you get up in the morning and it's down to 25 you know you've got a nail small leak trash in your schrader valve or whatever and you need it to maintain pressure and that's the way the pressure tank functions too it's it's an air tank part water part air and so when you open the faucet you know you have a relatively constant flow of water but if you get a leak in that thing and either the air or the water leaks out you're not going to have water pretty soon you know depending upon the speed or the velocity or the flow of the um, leak well right now it's just a drip a drip about every 15 seconds but i know its days are numbered so that's been a thing because i've had to go out and you know kill the power to the pump so that you know like if we're gone for the day i don't want the thing to burst wide open and the pump kick on and run wide open all day long because it never reaches full pressure it never shuts off anyway this is for you well guys or gals um you know you know what i'm talking about but anyway 
I'm, I'm living on borrowed time with the well, so I've been pricing pressure tanks and scoping out all the fittings and that kind of stuff. So I've just had a, one of those weeks, but it's been a great week too. It's funny how everything comes at you in mixed things. You get the good, you get the bad. You, you know, it's a little bit of everything. I had a really funny email. This is one of the highlights of, of last week. I got an email from a listener of the show. Um, and he said, the subject line was too much coffee, Brad, which by the way, I'm drinking coffee right now. I'm going to have some, let me take a sip. It was like too much coffee, Brad. I was listening to your latest podcast and I'm paraphrasing his email. And he, he wrote it with a great sense of humor too. He's like, you were talking a mile a minute. You were just like on a tear. And, and I was like, oh man, maybe something's wrong with the file, you know? So I go to the, um, you know, I, I listen to the original that, that I have in my backup data. That sounds fine. I jump around to a couple locations. That sounds like me. I mean, sometimes I do get to spitting words out kind of fast because I think my my brain gets ahead of my mouth, you know? So I, I know I'm guilty of that at times when I get a little excited about a topic or something. Thoughts get to raising. And it is coffee-fueled, no doubt. You know, I, I get seriously chatty when I'm drinking a little coffee. Anyway, I couldn't find it. It sounded, the, sounded normal to me. So I go to Podbean where I host the podcast. I'm scoping it out there. Jumping around, sounds normal. So I I wrote him back and I said, hey, uh, you know, there's a possibility. You know, if you're listening on, you know, the Apple Podcast app, by the way, I hear the rooster cranking up out here. It's about time. He's sleeping late this morning. Um, I said, you know, they got speed controls on there. Maybe you accidentally, you know, have me playing at 1.5 times speed you know maybe maybe that's it just just saying you know maybe check that and i said hey and if you want a real hoot this is something jackson and i have done i accidentally you know in fumbling around with my little ipod playing back the podcast and jackson sometimes like play your podcast so i'm playing it and accidentally hit the speed control and suddenly i'm down at i think it's i don't know if it's three quarter speed or half speed but slowing it down. And we got to laughing at how hilarious I sounded. It's, you know, if you want to you wanna laugh, take a podcast, any one of mine or anybody else's, and just slow the speed down. And you will swear to God that I have been hitting the moonshine jug, that I have, you know, consumed a half a quart of Jim Beam or something right before I hit record. It, it's hilarious. Anyway, so I told this guy, I said, hey, you know, while you're playing with the speed controls, you know, slow me down. You want to you wanna hear something funny? Because you slow somebody down and they just start sounding like... It's, it's fun. So anyway, have fun listening to me that way. Or, or record yourself and laugh at yourself. You know, I'm a little sensitive about that. Okay, so anyway, Sick Child's Fine. I've bought a little time on the pressure tank. And then this past week, I also did, I did a bass gig. And this time of year, all you pickers who like to go out and play for those bennies, 
Um, you know it's slim pickings this time of year, so you take what you can get. So we had a Pluck Tones gig at Toboggan Steve's, which is a little, you know, it's right on the corner in downtown Americas. Oh, rooster. Ah, it's in his nature, what can I say? You're just going to have to put up with him. By the way, that's Carl. Or Clay. His name is Clay. Oh, man. <laughs> I know you can hear him. Anyway, so we, the pluck tones, hey, can you guys play, you know, at Toboggan Steve's? And it's 9 to midnight. And, you know, when I was 20 and 25, I liked those 9 to midnight or 9 to 1 gigs. I just liked it. Now, at age 60, can you believe I'm that old? I am. At age 60, I'm like, my bedtime's 8.30. You know, I go to bed with the chickens. So I have to plant, you know, take a nap during the day and, you know, save up my energy so that I can still be going strong at 12 o'clock and then we tear down and then we load up the PA and all that, you know. So anyway, it was Plucktones gig at Toboggan Steve's. Had a great time. The gig went very well. However, it was different in that our mandolin player couldn't do the gig. It was Valentine's Day, and he'd already promised his sweetie, you know, that they're going to, like, do something on Valentine's Day. So we didn't have our mandolin player. So, you know, we're kind of a bluegrassy little trio. We're not really a bluegrass band because we have mandolin, bass, acoustic guitar. So we're missing that banjo, and sometimes we do add a banjo player or some other stuff, you know, if we need to go out kind of in that form. But basically, we're a little acoustic trio with guitar, mandolin, and bass, but our mandolin player couldn't be there. So we got Eric, uh, our drummer. Well, I say our drummer. He's a guy we know. He's great. He's great. I've always hated playing with drummers, but I don't hate playing with Eric. Eric is just like he's he gets it. He gets what we're doing. And he knows how to play softly, sensitively, loud. He's got a lot of, uh, well, dynamic range, you know. And he listens. Because he doesn't rehearse with us. He, he sat down there. We've played other gigs with him, so he kind of knows our basic deal, you know. And we have played with him with the full trio, so, you know, as a quartet, too. But I've played with some drummers that really turned me off to drummers, you know, <laughs> just like I have to wear earplugs to play with this guy, you know, and it's just soured me on drummers. But Eric, man, I love you, dude. You have the right sensibilities for what we're doing. You're just awesome. In fact, I told those guys, and th this will give you a little uh, taste of what my sense of humor is. Then we're going to get on to the actual topic. You know, as we're getting down, it's getting like 1130. And I turned to them guys. I said, you know what? This is so good. I'm right now making a motion to make Eric an official member of the Plucktones. So since we have a quorum, let's just go and vote on it right now. I'm just saying we need Eric all the time. And we'll, we might talk to John about it and make sure he's cool with it. But um, I vote that we make Eric a Plucktone. So, and, and I said, and on top of that, we need to do this seven nights a week. We all, and this is, this is kind of my sense of humor. I, I've always found it funny 
to, um, like when somebody asks you their advice or something, to just give them the most absurd, insane advice rather than the real advice, you know, like measured and carefully thought out. I just, I said, okay, so the three of us need to divorce our wives. They owe us this. They owe us happiness, okay? And we're going to move to Key West, and we're going to move into a one-bedroom apartment where, you know, I'm sorry, some of us are going to have to sleep in the same bed and on the floor. Uh, we're just going to live like that. We're going to play seven nights a week, possibly sometimes two and three gigs per day because we deserve this, you know? And if if our wives love us, they will let us do this. And in fact, some of our wives will probably happy, be happy to hear that we're going to do this. Now, of course, we're not going to do this. And they're both looking at me like, what? What? <laughs> and it, it was really just my way of saying, this is fun. This this sound we're getting tonight was really fun. And it was. And it, if nothing else, I hope that it goes to prove to you that I'm not just this Died in the wool, stick in the mud, totally traditional, got to be Ralph Stanley and Bill Monroe all the time, you know, 24-7, 365. I, huh, I do love that stuff. But I'm, you know, I'm cool with other stuff too. And I think that whatever you're into, um, tip A, unwanted advice, number one for this podcast, whatever you're really, really into, consider playing around in zones outside of your familiarity. Because you might find that you're into other things, too. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So next item. Now, this wasn't this past week. This was actually two weeks ago, maybe maybe a little over that. I got asked to do, um, to run sound, be the sound board operator, sound technician, for a show at the Rylander Theater in Americus. And they bring in these shows. They have this whole series, you know, where they have these, you know, touring acts that go around and play all these mid-sized and small theaters and some big, you know, just acts that come through. Got to finish that coffee. It is already stone cold. All right. So... Uh, somebody said to me, hey, you know, what are you doing on such and such a date? Would you be interested in running sound for the Three Redneck Tenors show? I'm like, the Three Redneck Tenors? What is this? I pull them up on YouTube, look at their promo material and go to their website and stuff. And I'm like, this is this seems pretty cool. If you have not seen a show put on by the Three Redneck Tenors, I encourage you to do so. This is just a classic. You might think, especially if you're a redneck, that they're just going to be making fun of me. But and they are. But they're also making fun of themselves. It's it's just it is a fun juxtaposition. I'm using that dadgum word again of two um, dissonant themes. You might say these are three guys, um, classically trained operatic voices. These guys are serious tenor singers. We're not talking Bill Monroe tenor. I'm talking about the real thing. The stuff where, you know, you can play on those stages, those big stages in New York for all those fancy people, you know. 
But they've got this show called The Three Redneck Tenors where it's just a joke a minute and funny songs and serious music too. And man, what a trip. I had so much fun doing that gig and it it was basically an all-day affair for me. So it was show up, organize the equipment, the mics, the monitors, test the house PA, do it, you know, preparation, preparation. And it was involved, you know, a piano on stage. So we got to roll the Steinway out. We got to follow their stage plot, set everything up. It's all the sort of thing I love to do. Get that stage super neat, tape down all the cables. Piano goes over here, you know, stage right. And, you know, they got this plot. So we set it all up and then just waiting on them to arrive, do the sound check. Well, they bring in tons of props, and this was a hoot because the stage, just to look at it, was hilarious. I mean, they got their outhouse, they got their trailer, they got the stuffed bear, and, you know, all this weird prop stuff, and it's a hilarious show. I'll put a link in the show notes page to their website. Scope them out. If they're in your area, go see them. It's a good time. It's a good time. But the thing I came away with as as a sound person, first of all, sound check went beautifully. Didn't have any trouble at all. Very little adjustment requested or needed. No, it just they weren't super like either we were doing a good job or they weren't super picky. I don't know which. I probably a little of both. The only thing that was um I realized no matter how much you prepare for something, at a certain point, something's going to change. You know, you can prepare, 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 and then, bam, you got to tear it all up and do it differently. And that happened the moment they arrived. Their tech guy came in, and he's starting, you know, they got all these little uh, people running around hauling props on stage and all this stuff. He walks on, he goes... That piano needs to be over on this side. <laughs> of course, I had spent, you know, an hour positioning the monitor, taping down the cables, the microphone that would be at the piano, the microphone for the piano. So I, I basically had three wires, cables taped down on the stage so they wouldn't trip over it and everything's cool. Left a little slack in case they need to move it a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. And I got to rip all that up and move it to the other side of the stage. In other words, the whole stage plot was flipped left and right. You know, it's just so you get busy. And had to do all that stuff, and then the sound check went great. But man, and this leads to our subject for today. And it's only taken me 23 minutes to get to the subject. Forgive me. <laughs> you do have that fast-forward button. Was once the show got going... Now, Soundcheck was, I thought, smooth, easy, minor, minor adjustments. Just, just it was like, this is going to be, man, it's going to be a snap. Because they basically had three vocalists, the three redneck tenors, three vocalists, all with a wireless mic. You know, they're holding a handheld wireless mic. They're moving around the stage. We've got four monitors on stage. And they're playing to tracks, which they operate. So they got all their tracks loaded up on a machine so they can 
they're just running these audio tracks that is their backup. And then they also have a piano. So I basically got four mics and four monitors on stage. That's it. It's a fairly simple board setup and the track level. And so, man, Carl is just tearing it up out there, crowing. Eh, give you a little taste of farm life. Um, anyway, so these guys are powerful singers, so I'm, it's no trouble getting a, you know, a good solid level, you know, at the zero mark or slightly below on, on these. And they really know how to sing. They, they've done this a bunch. They're professionals. And sound check, smooth as silk. They go off to eat. We're just hanging around waiting, you know, T minus 10 minutes, T minus five minutes, you know, that kind of thing. We got the light people up there. They got all their stuff figured out. Got the stage people. Everybody's in position. Got headphones on. We're talking to each other, you know. You know, one minute and all this stuff and getting everything ready. And they start. First song, track comes on, lights come up, you know, curtains open. And bam! It reminded me of a story of, of Bill Monroe. I can't, I can't remember the exact tale, but I read it in one of these Bluegrass books of Bill Monroe, you know, coming out, sound checking, doing something. They're doing some live recording with a recording truck out in the, you know, like in the alleyway behind the Ryman or something. And that the sound guy, you know, just like he's got headphones on, he's monitoring. And, you know, in his words, you know, when, as soon as Bill stepped up to the microphone and started singing, you know, the headphones just blasted off his head, you know, like it was, it was like five times louder than what he had sound checked at. And, you know, he's reaching for the knobs. Well, that was me. There's something different about this, the level of energy of a sound check compared to the actual adrenaline fueled, applause fueled, lights on, you know, live action. I guess, um, you know, the only thing I'm saying is expect things to be a bit more intense the moment it really starts. People get excited. And they came out and they started belting it out. And it was, it was powerful. So I had to make a few little quick adjustments, just basically overall volume. And everything was cool then. You know, we, we got a guy um, cruising the house, listening at different positions and telling me, you know, little things like give me a little feedback on the sound didn't have to do a whole lot anyway so that's all good but then comes the unexpected the whole the whole is is divided in two sets with an intermission so i'm just this is the first set went great the the kind of like uh technical director he comes up to me during break he's like you know the only thing is i feel like back there underneath the, the you know the Whatever. Uh, you know, you might just push up the volume just a little. Okay. So just a little. That was it. No feedback from nothing. It was just, everything was working beautifully. Then in the second, shall we call it the second set or the second act, all of a sudden, one of the guys on stage takes off, runs down the stairs at the side of the stage and is out into the audience. I mean, he's going out there to interact with people in the audience. He's got that mic in his hand. I'm thinking, oh, my God. I mean, you're asking for feedback when you do that. 
and it was something that was never mentioned during soundcheck. Nobody ever left the stage. Nobody ever ran around the audience with a live microphone. And I thought, you know, it would have been nice to have tested that. But it, it, on, in hindsight, it worked. I, I know why it worked very well. It's because these guys are super powerful singers, as you can imagine. Opera singers, basically. And so I had the gain set, you know, relatively low. So the odds of feedback was, was small. And that, that, that passed beautifully. The crowd, tons of jokes, crowds eating it up. I can, I can kind of judge like how, how's the, how's the sound around the room just by watching people when they would, you know, tell a joke and I could see people laughing. So I know they're hearing it. I know they're getting it. Everything was cool. So that was the first surprise seeing, you know, like the main dude come, you know, running out into the audience. But then the thing that blew me away, just the overall takeaway then, and this gets to dynamics, is the incredible dynamic range that these singers presented from pin drop quiet to thunderclap loud. I mean, just you know, F4 Phantom taking off. Massive dynamic range. And they knew a lot about singing over microphones so that, you know, they were increasing and decreasing their distance from the microphones a little. But I found that I've never run sound for any, any singers with that powerful of a voice. There were times during the solo, each each one of the three at, at a certain point in the show kind of was featured and would sing some stuff. You know. It was one guy in particular, which I just kept going down, 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 down with the level to keep it where it sounded good. Because, quite frankly, when he was at full volume, you didn't need a PA. I mean, these old theaters, I don't know, remember what year that theater was built? I don't know, like 1915? They didn't have much in the way of PAs in those days. And yeah, I've talked about sometime. In fact, I talked about it at the jam, in the Jamplification episode that, you know, sometimes a PA, you just don't really need it. When that was the case, I mean, it was going down, down, down. His vocal not the tracks. I was keeping the track volume normal. But I just kept turning him down, down, down to where he was practically off. And he was just as loud as he was when he was kind of more relaxed and singing, you know, and I had him turn up. But I found myself riding those faders a lot more than I anticipated. You know, running a typical bluegrass type band you don't mess with the faders that much. You sort of set them real good and let the people work the mics because their dynamic range is, generally speaking, not going to vary that much. But man, oh man, this was something else. So I learned a little something. And one of the things which I was talking to the technical director afterwards, said, you know, the only thing that would have made my job easier would have been to have some compressors 
in line with those vocal mics. Just kind of dial in a little bit, little bit of automatic gain reduction, you know. When they really powerfully belt out something, a compressor will just tone that down just a little bit so you don't get distortion and you don't have people holding their ears. In other words, if the singer is filling the room on his own, you don't need to fill it with the PA. So, okay, so this brings us to the whole idea of dynamics, which I threatened to talk about. So let's talk about dynamics. What is, or what are, dynamics? Now, dynamics, the word dynamic, or dynamics, has multiple connotations, depending upon, you know, what um, area you are speaking of like you've you've heard people talk about oh what a dynamic speaker you know that uh that barack obama what a dynamic speaker you know or you know or l ron hubbard or <laughs> you pick or adolf hitler dynamic speaker whatever you know you know what i'm saying so it's been applied many times to speakers sometimes it is companies you know uh Tesla, <laughs> Tesla Motors, what a dynamic, you know, company or whatever. So dynamic kind of implies like boldness, forcefulness, energetic, uh, you know, just like, um, anyway, that's not what I'm really talking about here because in terms of like the personality of a person or the personality of a company or the style of delivery, a lot of times people just uh, connote the feeling of like super powerful energy you know that kind of thing dynamic and then there is the sort of what is dynamics in terms of physics and you know it has to do with motion and energy and you know that that is true these things i'm talking about are uh, in the musical use of the term dynamics that, that all that we're talking about is part of it and then there's the little thing about, oh, you know, the dynamic, uh, you know, like every time my boss comes in the office, I notice, you know, Bert over there, he gets, he clams up and, you know, he gets, he, it's like he's nervous around the boss. That, that's a weird dynamic. You've, you've heard it used that way, you know, or, you know, the guy's wife flinches every time the, you know, you know. Every time he reaches for the salt shaker, she flinches, and that's a, that's just a strange dynamic, you know. And, and so it can kind of describe like an interaction. Anyway, I'm not talking about any of those. I'm going to talk about dynamics in the musical sense, as it is traditionally used in music, because, and I'm turning the page, in my massive 50 pages of notes, no, it's only a couple pages, because I find that in bluegrass music, and frankly, in many, many, many styles of music, use of dynamics is often lacking, sorely lacking. And dynamics, the use of dynamics, which I haven't really defined in a musical sense yet, but I will, is rarely taught, certainly rarely taught at a beginner level, except maybe in passing, like... If, if I have a new banjo student, you know, I might talk about, you know, we're just talking about where to put your fingers and how to hold your, you know, how to hold your picks and pluck, 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 and how to play this and that. And not a lot of talk about 
you know, how loud are you? Except then when we, we get to backup, you say, well, you know, you, you might want to play a little softer when you're, when you're not soloing. And that's about it. It's kind of like you got two levels, soft, loud, you know, that's it. So it's kind of skimmed over because there's a lot of technical stuff, mechanical stuff that you've got to get out of the way before you move on to the more, um, you know, the aesthetic shaping of music, you know. First, you got to learn your scale, you know. Learn how to play your scale. Then you can learn different ways to play your scale. You, know, you follow me? Okay, and dynamics. Improving. And this is really the crux of this, the purpose of today's episode. Because I can't package and sell this course in dynamics. Although, speaking of L. Ron Hubbard, I think he probably has packaged and sold something similar, but whatever. Speaking of L. Ron Hubbard, back in, the, this is back like in the 80s or something. I'm in a bookstore one time. I, I just want to say this because I don't have a whole lot of love for that guy. And, and it was formed, my opinion was formed very rapidly. And I hope any of you that are really into that, you know, do not take this the wrong way. Frankly, I'm sure you don't care. Um, but so I'm just cruising through a bookstore. I always, you know, hung out at either Radio Shack or the tool department at Sears or the bookstore. And I'm in, you know, some bookstore in a mall. And I see this book. It's called Dianetics. And it's got this picture of a volcano on the cover. It's just a paperback book. I'm like, well, this looks pretty cool. So I buy the book. And I'm in the parking lot, you know, just kind of flipping through the first couple pages. And I'm... I'm looking at this book, and I'm actually pulling out of the parking lot of South Lake Mall, Mara, Georgia. And I'm reading this stuff. I'm like, what the? I literally, I, I'm not ashamed to say this. I literally rolled the window down and threw the book out the window. And that was it. That was the end of my experience with Dianetics. <laughs> I was already screwed up enough. I did not need to be, but anyway, you know. Whatever. God love them. Man, I probably shouldn't have gotten into that tech, that whole topic. But anyway, that was it. That was start and finish under 10 minutes and wasted $3.95 on the cheap paperback book. Anyway, one of my prouder moments, pitching that thing out the window. Okay, so let's back to... <laughs> and you know what? If you're into that, you're probably not listening to this podcast. I'm quite sure. So let's get on to the, what is the basic musical definition of dynamics? At its simplest, it is how loud or how soft are you playing? You individually or you as a group or the entire group or the balance between them because your banjo player could be playing very loud while you were playing very soft. So you have individual dynamics and then you have group dynamics. And in music notation, traditionally, you know, we've got these fancy Italian words for it. Soft is piano. Loud, forte. So you've got, incidentally, when you sit down at a piano, the, the cool thing about the piano compared to the harpsichord was that you could vary the volume depending upon how vigorously you struck the keys. Hit them hard, 
you get a louder sound. Hit them softer, a little less energy, it's soft. So it's called the soft loud, the pianoforte. And they even made it even more variable by giving you the unicorda pedal or the soft pedal which would even reduce the number of strings which the hammer struck to make it even softer. So it, it gave you a volume control on your piano, on your keyboard string instrument. Whereas the old harpsichord is just pluck, 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 kind of a banjo-like effect. You hit the key and it goes boink, you know, the little thing strike, you know, whatever, the little quill plucks the string, you know. And you couldn't vary how tightly you held the quill, like you can vary how how tightly you grip the pick. Which, by the way, you flat pick users, the tightness of your grip is your volume control. Tighter, louder, looser, softer, generally speaking. Now, there's more to it than that. Proximity to the mic is also a volume control, as are volume pedals and things like that and just positioning. Stand behind the bass player, you probably won't be heard as much as if you stand in front of the bass player. But anyway, in the musical, like the real world of music, of music notation, because when Beethoven is writing his symphony and you're going to play it later and he's not there to explain what he wants, he has to put this stuff on paper. He has to you know, he didn't have a podcast to tell you about dynamics and how he wanted these things phrased. He had to scratch it out on paper. So we basically have a scale of eight volume levels, and it could even be extended beyond that. Typically, it's six, and you start with pianissimo. That is PP, down at the soft. That's like very soft, pianissimo. Then you have piano, which is soft. Then you have mezzo piano, which is mezzo, mi middle, medium, medium soft. So starting at the softest, pianissimo, then piano, then mezzo piano, then mezzo forte, medium loud, then forte, then fortissimo. Now, if you want to extend this further, you could on either end, you can have PPP, which is pianissimo, and then at the other end, you have fortissimo, and it gets crazy. You could write as many P's as you want to. I think there are scores that have as many as six P's, and they mean seriously soft, like breath, like pin drop soft. You know, P, 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 P is like, the more P's, the softer it is, the more F's, the more louder it is. But, you know, you your typical, like, um, you know, you pick up a Sousa March arrangement and you're looking at the uh, second clarinet part, you know, it's going to be PP, penismo, P, MP, MF, F, F, F. That's kind of, you know, you get, it's like your volume knob has one through six on it. That's very typical, but you could go one through eight. You could potentially go one through ten. But let's, let's, let's think about this. You know, I was talking about teaching that banjo player, you know, I'm basically talking two settings on the volume control, soft, loud. You know? And think of them as variable controls, analog sweep controls. Here's, here's, 
if you get nothing else from this podcast, get this. Realize, number one, that you have the ability to play at multiple volumes. Practice that. Learn to play soft. Learn to play loud. And then try all well, those six common ones. Try to play very soft. Soft, medium soft, medium loud, loud, and real loud, very loud. Work your volume control. When you're working on whiskey before breakfast, and then you're going to play red-haired boy, play them. Begin perhaps at medium loud, and then back it down to medium soft, then back it down to soft. Then go back up and work your way all the way to fortissimo, back and forth. You know, Learn how to vary your volume. Because frankly, if you can vary your volume, you improve your musicality. You increase your expressiveness, your ability to express different things. We don't want monotony in music. And I'll be honest, a lot of bluegrass is pretty monotonous in the dynamic area. Okay. And it can be improved by even just minor dynamic adjustments and dynamic expressiveness. But a couple things I want to tell you is that these levels, pianissimo all the way to fortissimo, are relative levels. They are not absolute measurements. They are not decibel measurements. There is no particular decibel measurement for forte. It isn't 100 decibels. It's just loud, because everything must be taken in context. Um, you have to consider background noise. You have to consider the size of the ensemble. Um, you know, it's, it's relative. So, pianissimo is softer than piano. Piano is softer than mezzo piano. So, piano is softer than mezzo forte, which is softer than forte. And fortissimo is even louder. So it's just a scale. It's a relative measuring scale. And it varies because depending upon the, the quality of your instrument, if you're playing a dulcimer all by yourself, fortissimo on your dulcimer is not going to equal fortissimo on a pre-war flathead five-string banjo. It's not. Because the instrument itself won't produce that, those decibel levels. So each instrument has its own dynamic range. It can go from, you know, in a, like in a scientific sense, from this many decibels, zero, up to this many, you know. And some instruments simply can't get louder. Think of your poor, suffering lead guitarist who is picking, picking for all it's worth and nobody can hear him because the mandolin is chopping too loud and the banjo is picking too loud and the guitar player next to him is slamming chords and the bass player is like, he's watching the basketball game. He ain't paying any attention. Now, the, the fiddle player, you know, like everybody, each instrument has its own dynamic range of, you know, like 
absolute measuring terms, but this is all about rel relative loudness. So the instrument quality and the combinations of instruments has an effect on overall dynamics. So just don't think of it as, you know, there is some measurement you can get out of decibel meter and determine, you know, how loud is loud. It's just loud isn't as loud as very loud, and it's more loud than medium loud. So it's a, it's a scale. So when, because bluegrass is an ensemble form of music, we're all playing together and the instruments have different qualities and characteristics. So we got to work together. We, we must work together in order to have an overall dynamic range. Because if you got a banjo player with a really loud banjo and a really loud picking style and attitude, if he can never learn to play softer, you just you're just like sunk. You're sunk. Because everything's going to sound the same all the time. Because that banjo is going to overpower certainly a, a, a guitar flat picking solo. And same goes for, you know, some guy just plays rhythm, but he just, he only has one volume setting. So I used to tell my students all the time to get them started on this sort of way of thinking is when you're playing, let's just begin with three, you know, soft, medium, loud, and practice playing soft, medium, and loud. And then when you're playing with other people, attempt to appropriately adjust your volume level so that the overall sound is the most musical. So that's the first thing. Be able to vary your volume. And it's tough. There is a natural tendency to play, by the way, faster as you play louder. So you have to, you've got to decouple volume with tempo. Now, the next thing you should consider when it comes to dynamics is that the, the, the essence of dynamics is the word change. It is change because all these volume levels are relative because we could be playing a pianissimo section of a recorded bluegrass song, let's say over uh, a stereo system at home, and we could be playing it very loudly. We could turn the volume way up, but they're just daintily picking. You follow me? Or... You could have this full tilt bluegrass band just, you know, killing it, and you have it turned down really, really, really soft. So it's all relative. Now, within the context of performing, you could suddenly shift from one volume to another. Like if you're reading along in the piano music and it says pianissimo, and then you get to measure five and it says fortissimo. Well, you would suddenly get very loud, but you can also ramp these changes up and down. Those are called crescendos and decrescendos or decrescendos. So a change from piano up to forte is a crescendo. It's a gradual change. It's slowly rotating the volume knob rather than suddenly punching the the volume pedal at a preset level. 
and th the rate of that change can be varied. You could play soft, 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 little louder, little louder, loud. Or you could go soft, medium, loud, very even. And you can go the other direction. So if you crescendo, then you decrescendo, you might think of that as a swell in volume. And it can be a rounded shape. It can be very sudden with a peak in the middle. There's a lot of ways to make a change from one volume level to, the, to another, one dynamic level to another. They can be very sudden. And by the way, if, if you want a good little short course in all of these terms, uh, just go to Wikipedia and search for music dynamics, I think. is if I'll, I'll put a link to that on the show notes page, too. Just describes all these crazy possible possibilities. But think about, at the most basic level, dynamic dynamics are varying of the volume, either individually or as a group, because you might individually vary your volume to create a balance so that you're chopping and drowning out the fiddle break, or to create variety in the music so that behind the first half of the verse, you hear the fiddle softly playing double stops. Behind the second half, you hear the dobro playing a little color fill. Well, you have to turn your volume up or down or off Consider off as part of dynamics, not playing at all. I was always um, pleased, and I just enjoyed the Nashville Bluegrass Band. Many times, when the singing would start, the banjo would stop. I love that. It just drops out. Boom. And it's partly, probably partly because... Their lead singer was the, also the banjo player, you know. Kind of hard to do both at once, you know. Unless you're like Junior Brown where you can back yourself up and stuff like that. But it creates dynamic change and improves the musicality of the whole thing. But on the next level, once you get beyond volume changes, go to the next level. Once you learn some control... And perhaps discussed with some of your fellow musicians, just talk about dynamics or just send them a link to this podcast. I always appreciate you sharing, you know, this stuff around with your fellow musicians if they're into this sort of thing. And also while I'm at it, I would like to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash Bradley Laird who are financially making this podcast possible, as are the people visit my website at bradleylaird.com and succumb to my peddling of instructional materials and make a purchase at the old Bradley Laird online store, which is found at payhip.com slash Bradley Laird. Now I got the plugs out of the way. My wife won't say, well, you didn't mention the website. Now I've said that. The basic idea is get your volume control Make it a possibility. Give yourself one, two, three, four, five, six volume levels. Both in rhythm playing and in lead playing and in backup playing. Depending on your instrument, those things could be different for you. Learn to do that. Then encourage your fellow musicians to do it. Work together. Like, when I get soft, maybe you get a little louder. 
during this part of the song. Maybe you could tone it down a little bit. You know, these terms, pianissimo, you don't want to come into a bluegrass jam session and go, I think that section should be, you know, mezzo forte, you know, while you over there, you should be playing pianissimo or pianissimo. <laughs> We've got our own terms like, you know, kick it, hit that thing, bear down on that thing, knock it off. You know, chill out. You, you know what I'm saying. You can use colloquial terms to describe all these things. But talk about dynamics. If you're not talking about dynamics, and you should be talking about dynamics with all the members, especially the offenders. Maybe they just never thought about it. You know, that I, in that podcast on, I think it was Jamplification, I said, you know, I turned to the guitar player next to me and said, could you just turn that thing away from me? Well, I was affecting my own personal dynamics, you know. Just don't point that thing at me, you know. And I'm, a, but that that those little conversations need to take place if you want to become better. And you got to be not so sensitive. If you got to be willing to try things, try different things, and you may disagree, but you know, try it and settle on some sort of compromises or solutions, you know. But you can then take dynamics to the next level because dynamics does not only refer to volume level. It also refers to tone, tonal quality, shall we say, timing and tempo, TTT, tone, timing, tempo. Because you can make dynamic alterations to the tempo of a song. For example, you're reaching the end of a song and it tapers off and gets a little softer and slows down just in the final three beats. That's a, that's kind of a dynamic tempo change. You can have, um, you know, everybody's even, in, you know, everybody's seen a bluegrass band playing train 45 and then they get around to the end of it and the banjo player just throws it down into overdrive and floors it and you play it at 20 beats a minute faster you know one trip through at the end that's a dynamic change because you've you've changed the tempo tone is another thing you could be playing up there on the neck you know all mellow and everything and then get down on there like ralph stanley right picking on top of the bridge you can make tone timing and tempo alterations as well and just remember, you got to work together. Now, I didn't mention really dynamic range, which is more of an audio science term. And it has to do with, you know, decibels and like, uh, it, go back and listen to my episode about compressors. And that talks somewhat about dynamic range. Uh, didn't really go into that. Last thing I want to do is just sort of paint a few pictures and offer you some ideas about... Oh, well, but before I do this, let me mention that a lot of times when you listen to a recording, uh, you may not detect as much dynamic range because many times the dynamic range has been overcome or altered through the use of compression and through the constant twiddling of faders in the mix. Like, if the guitar player 
is soloing and you're basically just hearing a mandolin chop and a very soft banjo roll behind it and a bass, a lot of times, you know, in the mix, they're going to push the guitar up. And the, like the overall volume levels, just about the same as it was when the banjo player was playing. But if you heard those same people playing in your kitchen, you might not think that was true because, you know, you can't apply electronic effects and automatic fader changes and all this kind of stuff. So you're going to hear typically more dynamic um, changes in live settings than you would in on recordings, especially recordings, you know, made for radio airplay. I mean, they squash that stuff. Um, but think of dynamic change as a tool of expressiveness. And in order to practice this, aside from practicing being able to operate your volume control, you know, electric guys, I'm always jealous of them. They actually have a volume control. And they can turn themselves up or down, or they can reach down to the amp and turn themselves up and down. It's a, it's a turn a knob, and you've changed your your dynamic, your your loudness. Where we acoustic players, we have to do it by how we strike the string, how long we let a note sustain, let it swell, the instrument, how we hold it, how close we are to a microphone, how we position ourselves in relation to the other musicians. So we have to do it all organically. We don't have knobs we can twist. Unless you've got a dedicated sound man who works your band and he just you just play at one level all the time and he does all the mixing back there at the board and, and creates the dynamics for you. But that's the first thing. Know that there are dynamics. Know that if you're a beginner, you probably haven't used this much, except for most beginners have this dynamic. They play, and then, well, they don't play, or they barely play, because they don't know that thing or something. You know, I don't know that chord, so that chord you don't know, you, you pretty much play it, you know, on the one setting. And the thing you do know, you play at eight, you know. So try to improve your dynamic range by your own abilities on your instrument. But I also want you just to observe the world. Use your ears. Listen, because training in this way can help the use of your ears in the actual context of playing your bluegrass music. If you don't learn to listen to what's going on and imagine potential changes to it, how are you going to affect those changes? So you have to practice listening. I just want to give you a couple of examples of dynamic Dynamics sort of in nature. One example is that rooster, Carl Clay. His real name is Clay, but, you know, I've told you. When he's annoying, he is suddenly Carl. If I walk by that chicken coop at 5.30 in the morning, and they're all real quiet, I don't hear anything. I might hear a little shuffling around on the roost, a little ruffling of feathers. And I'm just, you know, standing next to the coop and suddenly, without warning, Carl just bursts out with the loudest cock-a-doodle-doo sound you've ever heard. That is a sudden dynamic change. 
massively loud, especially when you're standing right next to it, and then dead quiet again. That's a dynamic change. I hear the donkey out there right now has just altered the, dy the, the dynamics of the, the quaint, peaceful sounds of this farm. And I've noticed that the donkeys always sort of, sort of decrescendo toward the end of their little honking. <laughs> you know, they kind of wear out and they just kind of taper off at the end. Or think about a train. Or one night I was laying in bed and I heard an ambulance. Must have been transporting somebody a long way to a hospital or something. And I could just barely hear this siren. And it was miles away. And it gradually got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder until it was within about a half mile of the house. And it was pretty loud, you know, at three in the morning. And then it faded and faded and faded and faded. This took, you know, five minutes to appear and disappear. That's a crescendo, decrescendo. Think about it. Get up in the morning sometime before the birds do. Go out, maybe do this in the spring when it's nice, and get your coffee and sit out on the screen porch and listen to the first bird chirping, then a couple more, then a couple more, then a couple more, then a couple more. And man, go back and listen to that episode I did called Nature, Sounds of Nature or something. You hear it. Listen to the dynamic changes in volume. I mean, the same thing goes for crickets and frogs. When a, when a frog starts up, or some toads, or tree toads, or whatever, and they start, there are times that you can be around a swamp and you can barely talk over it. It's so incredibly loud. And then it'll just suddenly stop. And then it'll start back up again. You know, it's... You need to start paying attention to dynamics. Another one that I that I really love is the sound of a you know like a summer thunderstorm, and you hear the very faint rumblings of thunder in the distance, just just barely perceptible, more felt than heard, real low frequency, and you're seeing the sky darken. So you could say there are dynamic changes in the colors and light level and you know this is visual too i mean painting a painting and all you use is fluorescent orange and fluorescent yellow spray paint like you're a graffiti artist you have a very limited dynamic range in terms of color but if you get out your watercolors or you know or a pencil you know you can express yourself visually with a greater dynamic range. It isn't just, you know, full blast or nothing. Think about the idiot that you've seen at the last football game you ever attended. You know those plastic horns? It's like a long, straight trumpet bugle type thing. And some clown always stands up and goes, Bruh! and just, it just blasts this stupid horn. Or think about those air horns you can buy for carrying on your boat, you know, very limited dynamic range. It's just on or off. It's full blast or nothing. What I'm saying is, don't be that kind of musician. But have that capability. But, you know, there is no volume control on an air horn. And, and think about, like, a little tuning fork. When you dong that tuning fork on your knee and you, you hold it up to your ear and you hear it, that's about as loud as she gets, unless you stick it on the bridge of your mandolin to amplify it. 
very limited dynamic range in stuff like air horns and tuning forks, you know? But start listening to your environment. Find things that do have dynamic range, like that approaching storm. As that thing gets closer and then you hear a few raindrops just tap it on leaves and on the tin roof. And it's just faint. And then it builds up and it builds up and you hear some wind. Volume's increasing. You know, we're now getting up to mezzo piano. And then suddenly, boom, a, a lightning strikes fairly nearby. It's FFFFF, or it's Sforzfondo, you know, it's like suddenly loud, and then it's back, and then the rain picks up, and the wind starts, and you're at Forte, and then you're at Fortissimo, and your lawn chairs are blown across the yard, and then it begins to decrescendo, and then right at the last, bam, one more lightning strike, you know, mm -hmm. hits your pecan tree. And the rain is just tearing it up. It's fortissimo, just the sound of rain on your tin roof. And then it drops down to forte, then mezzo forte. And then mezzo piano. And then the rooster crows. And you're back at forte for a second. And then piano. And then there's nothing but the water dripping off the eaves. And you're down at pianissimo. Just listen for these things out there. Listen in your office. When some, somebody's running a vacuum cleaner and, you know, listen for the sound of the fan in your computer and the air conditioning and the phone ringing and people talking. and Just try to, like, imagine, take an environment, like, record something or just use your ears, listen, go into a Mexican restaurant and sit there and, like, each dynamic change that occurs, write them down. You know, like when I walked in here, it was like pianissimo. And then this this jerk came in and telling these loud jokes over the bar. And suddenly it was like mezzo forte. And the crowd got a lot louder. And then they turned on that music. And, you know, you could actually score the dynamics of your environment. But if you pay more attention to it, you'll get better at hearing it. And then you will get better at using it to further the playing of better music. So that's it for this podcast. My my coffee is just incredibly cold. I'm getting a little chilly out here too because sitting out here in the tack room, I had a little heater running and I, I turned it off so that I wouldn't increase the loudness level. So that's it. I've burned an hour of your time and mine. So I'll be back in the next podcast. Y'all go out there and be dynamic bluegrass players. Talk to you later.